Well, it is good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Made it through the week, and uh, it was very reminiscent of times long ago living far north of here. But uh, I, when I was a, a kid in the 80s, we lived in Nebraska, my family and I did, and we had weather like that, and uh, the Sierra Nevada mountains of California, but I, other than that, I, that's just not something you see in Texas. So, uh, but I hope all you guys made it okay, fair. You're here, so that's a good sign. I think everybody else is at home, uh, blessing their pipes this morning <laughs> and trying to get water flowing and things like that. But, uh, uh, it's good. You know, one good thing, there's a blessing and everything, and generally there won't be as many flies this summer, you know. So uh wasn't good for the pipes, but maybe we killed some flies. But This morning, we are going to start a new book, Ephesians. In times past, you know, when I would teach through this, uh, if, if Ephesians has a long intro if you want to make it such. I really don't, so it won't. But it, it can have, it, the reason is because it's woven throughout the entire New Testament. Um, Paul in Acts, when he was on his missionary trips, remember he was traveling through the middle of Turkey, and he wanted to go south from where he was, and it says that the Spirit hindered him. Well, we learn from tying Scripture together, Acts uh, about chapter 27, 28, it talks about that. Um, where it was Ephesus, it was that was south, and so the spirit hindered Paul from being able to go to the city of Ephesus. Ephesians is written to uh, that particular church. We also see in uh, Revelation one of the seven churches that Jesus mentions there at the uh, you know as, as you're going into Revelations, it's a church. In other words, it's a literal church. It's also a figurative church. It's a church type. So uh, you see that Ephesians, the people there, uh, the church of Ephesus, it represents something to us. It's a, it's a place that Paul wanted to go up front and couldn't, uh, was hindered. Later he goes there. The first church council was at a place called Miletus, which is on the coastal regions of Asia Minor, Turkey today. But all of the elders from the church of Ephesus they traveled down there, and it was the first church conference. So, um, you know, if you're into that sort of thing, that was the first one that happened. And Paul had a real heart-to-heart with those guys, and then they went back to this church. Um, y'all remember the Apostle John, Apostle of Love. Uh, this is the place where he ended up after writing Revelation, and he pastored the church that was at Ephesus. And then he had a disciple, if you know your church history, and his name was Polycarp. And uh, he then pastored that church and was killed in the streets because the church had gone back to a lot of the sorcery that they had come from way back in Acts when Paul first went there. So you start putting the whole thing together, and I could bore you with you know just detail after detail, but that's kind of a rough draft of that's this church. And then you have to think, too, as we study through this, of where was Paul when he wrote this letter? Well, Paul, this would be in the early 80s, 60s, um, I believe it was 64, but don't quote me on that, um, is when he wrote this. 
And he wrote it, we do know, from Rome. So he was a prisoner. He's at the end. And he's writing back to a church that he planted years ago. And, you know, he's, he's going to lay some things out. Now, I'll say this. You know, what do you do at the end of your life if you're writing out your last will and testament? Do you lie in there? You know, do you tell people what they want to hear? No, that's when, you know, when the lawyers come and they read the will, you're like, and so that's what they really thought of me. You know, that's when you find out the real deal. I sense in this letter that Paul is giving his sort of a last will and testament to the Ephesian people and saying, remember this. Now, remember we just studied through Galatians, and that was a letter where he said, I want y'all to remember that you have freedom in Christ. Well, this letter is going to be the opposite. He's going to say, remember where you came from. Remember what brought you to the Lord, and now it should look like something. I shouldn't have to ask, are you a Christian? We, sh- we ought to be able to look at your life and be able to see by the way you're living that you are one. So that's going to be sort of, as you just read through this, what he's going to bring out. First, he's going to back up and say, well, first and foremost, guys, before we get into Christian living, let me, let's just talk about the fact of, are you actually a Christian? And I think it's important because even in a church like this, you know, we know each other. It can even be sort of an embarrassment issue. I've gone to church for 20 years, you know, but do you know Jesus? Um, I have been at a pastor's conference before where a pastor went up to accept Jesus. So I was blown away. But it happens. And that's not, that's not one instance. That's, that happens to a lot of people. You can buy books written by pastors. It says, I pastored for years, and then I came to the Lord. And so you can also come to church for a long time. You know, and I've said this before, but just because you go, you know, stand in your garage doesn't make you a car, you know. Um, you just, you're just standing in the garage. And just because you come to church doesn't mean you're a Christian. Just because you do good things or just because you're, uh, you know, uh, in a family that, that mom and dad are Christians or, you know, we serve in the ministry. You know, you know your heart and you know, well, maybe they do, but I, you, you have to live your own life. And, and you have to, you stand on your own before Jesus. So that's what Ephesians is all about. Um, so today, chapter one, he's going to start there by saying, let's go back to, to the first. So today may not be groundbreaking, really, and yet it is. Uh, you, we could stay in chapter one for weeks. We're going to try to cover the whole thing because I don't want to get buried in the details. I want us to get the big picture this time going through Ephesians of what Paul's actually trying to talk to us about and uh, relate to us 2,000 years later, you know. He starts in verse 1. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. So that tells us who wrote the book. Um, says, to the saints. So the saints is, he's not just saying the holy people, but he's saying the saints are those who are saved, uh, who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. So a typical uh, greeting that Paul gives in all of his letters there, grace and peace. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, as he, as he uh, starts here, this will be the longest sentence in the Bible, okay? Um, 
it's uh, there's a run-on sentence in the first of Romans where he tried to beat this, but this actually makes the longest sentence without pause or break uh, in the Bible. Uh, the the beginning is this first stanza of a sweet song of salvation, if you will. It's sort of a uh, let's backtrack and look at what causes us to be saved. So he says, first of all, God is the one who's blessed us with all the spiritual blessings. Verse 4, just as he chose us in him. In him is obviously a reverence to Jesus before the foundation of the world. Now, people in these two verses here, verses 4 and 5, as you teach through this, they'll say, aha, so you're a Calvinist, meaning I believe that God uh, saves uh, and he chooses and picks and you have nothing to do with it. And true, this morning I will come across like a Calvinist because that's what it says. Um, I believe as a pastor you don't have the right to say on a theological stance, I am this or I am that. I'm just a Bible teacher. So I teach what's in front of me. Um, you know, I can argue, it's kind of like math. You know, when I was a kid, two plus two equaled four. And then they've got this new math out now that it can equal whatever it wants to. Um, stupid. But uh, just saying, the Bible's not that way. Um, if 2 plus 2 equals 4 2,000 years ago, that truth is still going to be true today. And so here, he's going to say there's going to be two truths in the Bible. One truth is is that he chose us. And, you know, I know me. And I know you all probably think more of me than I do. Um, you only see me at church. And you only see me in this stage of my life. Um, you don't see what I went through to bring me here today. And you don't see the inside my heart that Jesus says in the scripture he can see. And so, you know, there was a period of my life where I thought I was really good, but then through a few trials, really now looking back, pretty light trials that hit me, you know, high school years. Uh, I thought it was the end of the world, but no, no, it was not, you know, um, but those trials, they shook me to the core back in the day. And they caused me to see some holes in myself. I thought I was rock solid, you know. And then I learned I wasn't. And that I was living a lie, you know. And later, when I got into my early 20s, I realized that. I, I realized what I'm portraying on the outside isn't who I am on the inside. And what I am on the inside is somebody that is still marred with sin I'm still being pulled in all these directions, and yet I'm trying to live for Christ on the outside. And so I thought, well, I'll just keep pretending. And so the 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 you know canyon in your heart just continues to grow until you reach a point where internally, outside, people say, well, nothing changed. Inside, wow, things were coming together, and God was starting to do a work. And then bigger trials, you know, hit your life, and they shake you. And they cause you to see like, oh, I thought I was solid yet again, but I'm not. This trial's showing me that I'm weak in so many other areas. And there's things that make up my character and who I am that God's ripping out of my life. And it hurts. It's painful. You go through that and uh, you, you finally come to this place of realizing that from the beginning, I did choose God. That's true. But I would have walked away from God many, many, many times over my lifetime, truly, if God hadn't been calling me. 
And if God hadn't continued to pull me back to him, it would have been just as easy for him to let me go. And if I was God, I, I kind of like, well, God, why didn't you just let me go? I, I, I was, you know how you have those, uh, I can't remember what they call it. That's a paddle. And you have a rubber string with a ball on the end of it. You know, pop, 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 pop. You know, you play with that thing. Um, I feel like I'm the ball. And like I run as hard as I can from God. And God's going, nope. And he just <laughs> pops you back, you know. And that's my life, you know. And I run and he, and he pulls you back. And trials have a way of doing that, you know. Uh, that's, the, that's the string. And, and I thank God that he has never cut the string. Because that's what all of us are. We're, we're like a yo-yo, you know, essentially the same idea. We, we are trying to run from God, not to God. And God finds us and he pulls us in. So I know you didn't want to hear that, but that is you inside too. That's all of us inside. We're trying to run and you're here today because you feel a string and there's always a pull. I don't really want to go and yet I should go. And, and it's, that's life. I don't know that you ever outgrow that. You love God and yet it is, it is Him choosing us. And I'm so thankful He does. And it's not that He just now chose us. It says, verse four, before the foundation of the world. Now, I can't stay there or we'll be there the rest of our time this morning. But this opens up some new things for me. So you mean before the foundation of the world, He chose you. When were you created? Uh, interesting. I won't even go into that. But when were you? When was your spirit created? I know John one talks about Jesus. He was there in the beginning. He's actually the one that created, according to John one verses uh, three and four. It's crazy. So it opens up a whole new dimension of God here before the foundation of the world, and then He chose us. For this, that we should be holy. Now, holy doesn't mean get your white robe, you know. Holy means separated. That he chose you that you would be separated. Well, when you're separated, you know, that means you're separated into a pile out of another. Kind of like if you're picking through beans. You you know, you all ever pick beans? Uh, You go through beans, you know, and, and you separate the rocks out, right? So you separate them from the good beans. And then you separate them to a pile on their own. So when you're separated, it's not just away from, but also unto. So you're separated from the world and to Christ, to God. Without blame. Well, that's impossible. We're all full of blame, but not in Christ, you see. Before him in love. Then he says, having predestined us, again, from the foundations of the world, we're predestined. Now, here's how I look at this, just to get this out of the way. We have to, according to Romans, we have to pick God. We have to choose. Then here in verse 5, it says we're predestined. So which is it? Well, it is both, like I've been saying. But when you have an omnipotent and omniscious uh, God, in other words, a God who knows all, sees all. He knows the past. He knows the future. It says in Revelation, he's the Alpha and the Omega, beginning and the end. Well, what does that mean? Well, if I know everything, that means I know what you're going to do before you do it. And that means I could look in this room and say, well, I know how many of you are going to pick and choose you know, path A, and I know how many will choose path B. 
therefore I know. You haven't chosen it yet, but I already know. You see, if I was God, the scenario, well, that's what God's doing. He can literally look at you as you're a spirit in heaven created and go, and I know what you're going to choose. I know what you're going to do. That's why in the Old Testament he could say, uh, Esau and Jacob, you know, the two brothers, he would say, uh, Jacob I've loved, but Esau I've hated. Why? Well, his spirit's already, if, if I already know that you're not going to choose me, kind of like if you go to date a girl, you know, that's the big thing. Is she going to date me or not? You know, and you tear yourself up wondering if she's going to date you or not. Well, if you knew, you would just steal your heart to it in the beginning, and it all would be well, right? You go, yeah, she's not, but she'll, she's never going to choose me, you know. And you just move on. Your heart would already be uh, away from her. But if you know, like, as hard as this girl is to get, she's going to choose me. Well, you would continue after it. Your heart would be towards her. Same with God. He He has the ability to choose because and choose who he's going to love, basically, because he already knows who's going to love him. It's actually fairly simple if you look at it that way. So he predestined us to adoptions as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. And that's kind of tying into the idea that Galatians had, where we're not just a big uh, a bunch of people that are anonymous in heaven. We're part of a family. He adopts us as sons of God. In other words, uh, we become part of the family of God in heaven. Not little gods, but we're part of the family, adopted in. It's pretty cool. According to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved, which just means this. We're accepted in the beloved. In other words, in, beloved's capitalized in Jesus. So God accepts us into heaven. If we're in Jesus, if we've accepted Jesus, that verse is just simply saying you don't get to heaven unless you know Jesus. In him, verse 7. So in him, that's the important part of the verse. In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Huge verse. So because of the grace of God, we have forgiveness of sins, redemption uh, from our sins through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. Big, heavy verse just saying, this is salvation if you've accepted Jesus, which I know most of us here have, which he made to abound to us, talking about the grace, in all wisdom and prudence. So his grace is overwhelming, which think about it. You know, he sent his son to die, that would be like you taking one of your sons or daughters and saying, I will sacrifice them to save the world. I wouldn't sacrifice one of my kids to save even one of you. I love my kids. That would be hard to do. You know, um, that's a that's tough. And God did that. So, again, absolutely amazing. So it's, a, again, the core of salvation. Having made known to us the mystery of his will. That's an interesting phrase to me. Verse 9. Everybody's always getting around today going, I wish we knew what the will of God was. I wish I knew what the will of God was for my life. And we make it very personal. And God's going, I have a will. And my will is that all should be saved. You know, if you're ever at a loss of what to do as a Christian, you know, should I do this? Should I do that? Am I, what am I called to do? Um, where should I be? When you default to, 
however I want my life, my words, my music, my skill set, whatever, I want it to help share Jesus Christ. Then you're always going to be in the will of God. It's really not as complicated as you think it is. Just make sure that you ask that question at your work, at your job, in your business. Am I making it easier for people to see Jesus and to maybe choose Jesus, or am I making it harder? And you be the light wherever God plants you. Um, but that's the that's the mystery of His will. It's really not as complicated as we thought. According to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, He may gather together in one all things in Christ, which are in heaven and on earth in Him. Now notice through here, uh, verse... Uh, uh, 8, verse 10, 11, and 13, it all has those phrases, in Him, in Him, in Him. Salvation is always going to be about in Him, in Christ. If it ever gets to be more or less than that, you're missing the boat, and I'm missing the boat. And again, this is sort of that Galatians flair of remember that that salvation, there's nothing added to Jesus. It's just about Him. So, Verse 10, again, a very heavy verse if we wanted to spend a lot of time there talking about the dispensation. Those are time periods where God works in different ways in different times. Um, in other words, for instance, Adam and Eve walked in the garden and they walked with God in the cool of the day. Have you ever done that? I'm not, don't answer. Don't, I don't want to know if you walk naked in your garden. But, um, the, uh, the thing is, is different times people have they talk to God in different ways. God talks to you in different ways in different times. And this is a dispensation of the fullness of the end, in other words, of all the times. And at the end of all times, he's going to do something yet again that's very different. Um, he's going to gather together in one all things in Christ. So in one, that's the, the Jews, the Old Testament. And then he's going to have the Christians. He's going to gather all of his together into one pot, if you will and uh, they'll be gathered in him. In him, verse 11, we've obtained an inheritance, being predestined, there that word is again, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So we're seeing a theme this morning as we just lightly read through this, that salvation's all about Christ, and also we're seeing his will, his will, predestined. Seems like it's just sort of all part of the plan. It looks like there's not a lot we can do to get away from his plan. And if that's what you're seeing here, you'd be right. His plan will come to fruition. There's no getting off of this. Satan knows it too. Satan's not trying to thwart what will eventually happen. He's just trying to be a, a you know, it's, it's kind of like the squeaky wheel. He's just trying to be anything that he can to slow it down. He was at the cross. You know, it's funny, like he orchestrated the death. If you read through Psalms uh, 22, you realize that Satan had a lot to do with the orchestration of Christ's death. And he thought he won. And yet he didn't win. And it, it, the, the thing is, is that Satan, at some point here, he's figured out the end is coming for me and I'm just going to take everybody down with me that I can. Um, his will, God's plan, it's not going to be thwarted. Now, it says, verse 12, that we who first trusted in Christ 
should be to the praise of his glory. So in other words, salvation and the entire plan, according to his will, um, those that first trusted in Christ are those who are saved, uh, should be to the praise of his glory. So in other words, praise the Lord for his plan. Those of you who are sitting here today that are Christians, we look at at this plan, we're speedily looking through it, um, but the plan of salvation, we look at that and we say, glory to the Lord, because it's the only way that we're getting off of this ball of dirt is through this plan that we're reading about this morning. It's more important than your life insurance. Life insurance doesn't insure your life. It actually insures your death. You know, When you're dead, it helps other people. We're talking about something that when you die, it helps you. Do you really care what happens to your stuff after you die? You're dead. Dead people don't care. Solomon wrote that in Ecclesiastes. Dead people don't care what comes after. And if you look at life and you kind of get disgusted with it, you know, good. Read through Ecclesiastes. Get good and disgusted. Um, That's a good way to be with life. After this week, who isn't disgusted with life a little bit? You know, you go from thinking we live in 2021, you know. I thought we'd be, you know, flying saucers around by now. We're just trying to keep the lights on. Uh, we, we, we're not doing too well on planet Earth right now. Um, you know, we've got more problems today than I think we had 20 years ago in our country. Uh, it's not getting better. It's getting worse. So I like his plan better. And it's funny, 2,000 years, if this plan went obsolete, this plan was no longer in, in function, wasn't working, this manual would be gone. How many manuals, manuals do you know that are 2,000 years old and they still give you the answers to life? It's pretty crazy. You know, I know manuals written 10 years ago for some appliances I have that are junk. You know, they're already not working. This one's still working. It's pretty cool. Verse 13, in him, mentioned again, you also trusted. In him you also trusted. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. I think that's pretty important after you heard. You know, it's it's an important thing for all of us as Christians to speak the gospel to those around us in whatever form the Lord gives you. He gave me this pulpit. You know, for some of you, he, he might give a small Bible study. He might give family. He might give you kids. He might give you some friends, some coworkers, whoever. But whoever you're around, make sure that they're hearing in some form or fashion about Jesus even if it's just through how you conduct business. You know, I remember years ago uh, being involved in a business deal where some of the people I worked around wanted to do something that was very, uh, it was just very unethical and not very moral, I didn't think. And so I thought about it. They weren't Christians either. And um, I was, and it was known in the workplace there. And I actually stood up and said, I don't, I don't think that this would be the right thing to do. And that was so hard for me to do. The fir- I didn't mention being a Christian, but the first thing that was said, oh, well, that's just because you're a Christian. That's why you say that. You know, and I finally had to kind of swallow hard and go, yes, it is actually. It just completely goes against my beliefs. And, you know, there was a few detractors, lost a few friends over the little incident, but I gained a few. In later years, they go to church now. So I'm just saying, those little instances plant seeds. Um, I didn't. I didn't give a big speech about Jesus or anything. I just said this thing that you guys are wanting to do, it's not right. And they 
uh, accounted it to Christ. So I'm just saying, you, you share Christ through everything. But after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Another very heavy verse, uh, two verses. The idea is, is when you're saved, you're then sealed with the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit comes into your heart, takes up residence. We all we know that. But he lays it out here in a very interesting way. As he says in verse 13, having believed, you were sealed. So that's, in the Greek, that's once and for all. You were sealed. Um, a seal works this way. And this is the seal that they're talking about. This is in Roman times. So they had uh, seals made out of wax. Um, I know, like working around the cattle industry, how this works. The USDA is, say, if a, uh, a herd of cows or something, if they test them, do, do blood draws on them, and they find that they've got bangs then or disease, then those uh, animals are, they've got to be slaughtered and, uh, you know, got rid of. So what they do is they have inspectors come, and when you're shipping them, they load the truck, and then they get a wax uh, and they put it on the back of the truck on the gate. They put that wax and they put a stamp. And it used to be the stamp of the seal of Texas that went on it. It was stamped. Couldn't be broken until it got where it was going. The reason is because there's a lot of unscrupulous characters in the business that was said these cattle have been condemned. We've got to get rid of them. And they would sell them in a market across state lines somewhere, just run them through a sale barn and say they were fine spreading the disease. So they would seal those trucks um, used to, to to get to where they were going. Now, what does a seal do? Well, a seal seals it for transport so that when it gets to where it's going, it's opened and it hasn't been touched. Letters back in these days were done that way. They would roll the letter up, put the seal on it. The seal meant that this has not been opened or touched until it gets to where it's going. So when I read this and I go, we were sealed? What? We're, you know, that means that you accept Jesus, the Spirit comes in, and He seals you. So it means that no matter what comes, doesn't matter what happens, doesn't matter what you do, it's not about you anymore. Isn't that great? Salvation isn't about you anymore. After you say, I accept Jesus, forgive me, come into my heart, then He comes in and seals you. And once that is sealed, then it's not opened until it gets where it's going and you're headed to heaven. Isn't that cool? And and that's the idea of this seal. Having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Who is the guarantee? That is a Greek word meaning the down payment. So if you think, well, this uh, Jesus stuff isn't all it's cracked up to be. No, it's really not. All you've got is a little down payment of what's coming. If you felt anything or saw anything that the Holy Spirit's done, in your life, around your life, in loved ones, seeing God work in the shadows, all of that, the work of the Spirit, it's just simply a down payment. It's just a, it's just a, a something that's uh, uh, there to say there's a lot more. There's a lot more coming. And I love that idea. He's the guarantee of our inheritance, inheritance of heaven, until the redemption of the purchased possession. He bought you. You're like, what? He didn't buy me. He bought you with his blood. He died for you in order to own you. And, you know, everybody says in America, it's it's the pursuit of freedom. 
liberty and freedom. And in our grand experiment, they call it, uh, of democracy here, it's failing in front of our eyes. Um, doesn't matter which side of the aisle you're on, Republican, Democrat, or in the middle, it's failing. Uh, the last few years, we've, we've seen it. Nobody's respecting our Constitution. Nobody's respecting anything, even our freedoms. They're not respecting. Um, the problem is this. It's a human document. And freedom in and of itself is not good. You see, everyone is a slave to something. Everybody has a master. We are built that way. We all like there to be some document, some law, something that governs our life. We like to have bounds. It's like children. Have you ever seen kids that run free? Hmm. They're terrible. Um, and when I was growing up, you didn't see as much of that because there were these things called wooden spoons, rulers, belts, things like that, that would uh, halt that activity. But um, those aren't used as much. You can be wherever you want on it. The Bible says, you know, you, you uh, spare the rod and you spoil the child. Well, we've seen the spoiled children in our culture today, and they're, they're running rampant. So uh, which how I got on that, I don't know. Sue me. Uh, we'll move on. We were sealed. I guarantee, uh, he says, therefore, verse 15, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love of all the saints. Now, end of the sentence at verse 14. That was the end of the salvation. So now he's going to move on the rest of this chapter. Therefore, I heard of your faith. I love that. I hope that's what people hear about you guys and of me. I heard of your faith. Not, oh, yeah, I heard about him. I hope it's, I heard of your faith. In the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. Ephesus, later on, it says in a Revelation, one of the things that they did that was wrong was they left their first love. So eventually it waned. But here, this church, church in, in uh, Ephesus, they were known for this for a long time. Uh, your love for all the saints. In other words, they were a real church family. They, they were operating right, and Paul heard about it. And he says, do not cease to give thanks for you and, and making mention of you in my prayers. So he says, I heard of your faith. I heard of the love you have, and I don't cease to give thanks for you. So I, he's thanking God for this church family that's here, making mention of you in my prayers. And then you notice there's a little... Uh, uh, colon there. So then verse 17 on, this is the content of this prayer. This is going to make you and I both feel ashamed of our prayer life when you read through all the stuff that Paul puts in his prayers, but we'll read through it. Uh, it's good to know. He prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. So first thing he's praying for here is that they are giving a spirit of, of wisdom from God. We all need that. And it's good to pray for that. This is an intercessory prayer where Paul is saying, I am praying that you receive wisdom and revelation. In other words, that, what well, says it? The eyes of your understanding may be enlightened so that you would be, in other words, spiritual asset. This is a good thing. He's praying spiritual giftedness 
that, that, that it would be there and be upon them, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. So he prays that they would know what his calling on your life would be, that you would be able to serve the Lord well. That's a good thing to be praying for people. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? That's great to pray. I hope that you understand what the riches of the glory of his inheritance are in the saints. So do you understand how important you are to God? That's what he's saying. Do you understand, no matter where you are or what you're doing in life, do you understand how important you personally are to God? You probably don't. If you did, you wouldn't probably act quite the way you do. I wouldn't act the way I do and think the things I think if you knew how much God truly loved you and cared about you very personally. He then he prays, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? He says, I pray that you know what this exceeding great uh, power is towards you personally because you're a believer. He has put angels around each one of us to guard us, to watch over us. The Holy Spirit has sealed you. You know, God is watching over all of our lives. It may not seem like it, but any trial you walk through, know that it first went through the hands of God. It didn't just happen. He didn't get a surprise email, okay? You know, alert. You know, John Doe is going through a trial, and I didn't know about it. It it doesn't happen. God knows because there's this exceeding greatness of his power towards, in other words, directed towards each of us who believe. Verse 20, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Well, that's great power. So he says, you don't understand the kind of power. Whatever you're going through, even if it's unto death, the power that he has toward you raised Jesus from the grave. So even if you die, he's got you. And probably you will die with your faith. The last 2,000 years so far, all Christians have died in their faith. So your faith in Jesus isn't so that you live and are victorious. It's so that you die and are resurrected. That's the only way to get there. You know, it's kind of like when you take an ugly worm and you say, change me. And you go, there's no hope for you. You're a worm. You know, make me beautiful. You ever see the bug's life, you know, the beautiful butterfly in there? You know, he's this fat caterpillar. And, uh, you know, I want to be beautiful. <laughs> You're like, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. You're a worm. What ha- what has to happen? They ha- they have to metamorphosize into something else. That's what death will do. What what sin and what the enemy will use or try to use for bad, God is going to turn death around and defeat death and say, I'm going to use it. It's going to be a metamorphosis, and you're going to rise better than you ever were. That is the resurrected life. And that's what Jesus has done for us. He said, there's no hope for you all. You're worms. But through metamorphosis, you're going to be beautiful. And uh, he's going to work this kind of great power towards us. So he raised him from the dead, and he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, 
and every name that's named, not only in this age, but in that which is to come. So he says what he's doing isn't only just for the age that we live in, but it's for eternity. So you see, this chapter is huge. I mean, like that's what I said, we could have broke it up and stayed here forever. We're moving on through it because he says, before I get into the rest of the chapters of Ephesians, I want chapter one to be introduction and let's start at the beginning and make sure you're saved and you understand the plan. And then we're going to talk about how to live here because you have to have it in reality. It's good to have perspective. And we all sometimes need a dose of perspective. Sometimes, you know, after this last week, your perspective is the water's running again. You know, the electricity is on for some of you. I, I don't know, some people in town had it a little easier than some people out of town. I've, I've heard all kinds of stories. Um, some people I know, you know, Tarleton had it pretty rough. Uh, you know, there's, there's different places had it different. But as a whole, most of Texas, we were back down to the basics, you know, kind of nice to have a shower and uh, electricity and, you know, just uh, running water and things like that got to be nice. We got, you know, if you have some heat or heat source, we, we we knocked it down a few decades in the technology realm this week, you know, and but it also brought into a, pers- a new perspective because a week ago you were probably worried about different things, right? And then this week, suddenly you had new worries, different worries, perspective changed. Um, trials do that for you. It takes perspectives of things that are important to you one week, the next week going through a trial, other things take precedent and reality changes for you. And what he's saying in chapter one is reality check, whatever you're going through, whatever, however you see God or want to see God, all of that, throw it out, go back to, are you saved? And then let's work from that and understand why you're saved and the greatness of his power that he's watching over your life. He's watching over my life and it's headed somewhere, not just this stage, but that which is to come. Verse 22 says, he put all things under his feet. In other words, he, uh, God, put all things under his, and that word uh, is for Jesus. It's he put all things under his feet. He gave him, that's Jesus, to be head over all things to the church. So you ever wonder, you know, different churches, who's in charge of the church? Jesus. It, it should always be Jesus is in charge of the church. The manual for running a successful church is the Bible. Okay, uh, We don't need all the rest of the handbooks, the Bible. He's ahead over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. Pretty cool first chapter. Um, you know, I guess... As we come into chapter two uh, on our next study, I encourage you this next week, read through chapter one a couple more times because we went pretty fast to get ready for what's coming. And as you leave here today, go through this next week, absolutely you know, smile when you think about the greatness of the power of God towards your life personally. And, uh, you know, sometimes I have noted in uh, life that God loves to work in such a way that he remains very uh, anonymous in the shadows. He works in such a way that while it's coming together, it's kind of like a puzzle. Um, 
you know, you can have a, a puzzle and I, I really disdain puzzles. I'm just not a puzzle guy. My, my wife loves puzzles. And so, you know, wintertime around our house, normally there gets to be a puzzle out. And I look at the thing, you know, over there on the table and I, just, uh, I don't, I don't want to get drawn in because it's frustrating, you know, and most of the time the puzzle, you can't tell what it really is because you get pieces of it put together and then other pieces don't fit. And you'll have, you know, you, you normally, if you're smart, you put the outside edge together first. So, you know, from beginning to end, you know, that's smart. Um, and then you start putting it together. And I don't know, have y'all ever had those bigger puzzles where you even look at some pieces and go, I don't think it belongs in this puzzle. <laughs> I think this belongs to somebody else's puzzle. You know, not mine. It doesn't fit. And But then, you know, you put some pieces together and go, oh, it does fit right there, you know. And and then you got two big blobs, you know, normally floating in the middle. Like, how's this, this going to fit in here? And you, you you just finally get the colors working, you know, one thing at a time. And Right as it comes together, you can see the picture. And, you know, then if you're smart, you you coat the thing and you, so you, no one can ever take it apart again. You know, you frame it. But uh, a puzzle, it's so interesting because that's sort of what life is like. You start life and you, you have a few pieces, a few edge pieces, you put them together. And you have these weird pieces of life and you think, I, where does this fit? I think it doesn't belong in my puzzle, somebody else's life, you know. And you, you start trying to put everything together with your your puzzle, and, and at times you want to give up, you know. And, uh, and then God gives you a little more insight, and that spiritual insight starts letting you see the picture come together. And it's right at the end when you finally start putting that final piece in that you you go, the picture is perfect, and God knew all along. God had the box. He knew what the picture was. You were the one in the dark. And I can see that in so many lives around me in my own life, that God, he does have a great power, and he does work all things, even if it's kind of hard. Uh, even if it's your own sin, the things you walk through, later he will turn those things the enemy used for bad to try to pull you down for good. And you'll be able to help somebody else with the experiences that you've had in life. So all of these things work. He he is so great, omnipotent. He he did have you sealed from the very beginning. He's still with you. He's walking with you. And whatever you guys walk through this next week, know that God is putting one more piece in your puzzle and uh, putting it together. So next week we'll start into chapter 2, God willing. Uh, Bart another uh, Arctic blast. <laughs> And uh, we'll see you guys then. Why don't we go to the Lord in prayer? Father, we come before you, Lord, and we thank you for uh, this, uh, this letter to the Ephesian church. And Lord, we pray that it would be a blessing as we read through this and study at this time, Lord, for our church, for everyone gathered here. Lord, just reading quickly through it this morning, the plan of salvation. Lord, we thank you so much for your son, for sending him to die. And for the great power, Lord, that you have that raised him from the dead. And Lord, knowing that for all of us, you have a plan. You have life eternal for anyone who accepts and believes in Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for that. And we just, we just bask, Lord, in that. 
and in your grace, Lord. We thank you for loving us. And Lord, as we all gather and we leave and go our separate ways from this place, Lord, I ask that you would bless everyone that's here. The same prayer, Lord, that Paul prayed with all wisdom and knowledge and prudence of you, Lord, and the glory that you have and that you are. And Lord, that every person here would know of the love that you have for each one of us individually, Lord, and that you are working on us and that you're calling us, even though we're sinners and we run from you, you're always pulling us back. Lord, on a serious note, if there's anyone here this morning that's feeling just that way, they've been running from you, Lord, and this morning they're feeling that pull to come back. Lord, I pray for them very specifically, and I pray that your spirit would be with them Continue to work and convict and love on them, Lord, and draw them back to you. And if there's a person here that is uh, praying that, Lord, right now, then I pray, Lord, that you would come into that person's life with a renewed seal, Lord, and that you would let them know that they are loved, that you are with them, that you forgive, Lord, and that you want them to be in heaven one day. Lord, we love you, and uh, in Jesus' name I pray, amen.